Each and every one of you are here today. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. We're in Acts um, chapter 4 uh, this morning. If you have your Bible or phone app or whatever you're using this morning, please feel free to go ahead and go to Acts chapter 4. We'll begin reading verse 23 uh, just as a uh, little bit of setting the scene for what happened. I just want to remember that Peter and John had healed a lame man. At the temple, um, they had been arrested. They stood boldly before the religious authorities of Israel. Um, They proclaimed that Jesus was indeed crucified at their hands and that he was risen from the dead. It was an opportunity for the religious leaders there to turn um, on a new path and to follow follow God through Jesus Christ. But uh, we know most of them refused that and wanted the silence. Peter and John, but they said, you know, who should we obey, God or men? Um, and the answer to that question is always God. And so they continued on. Uh, they w- we want to pick up in verse 23, and I just want to read this uh, to set our scene for this morning. It says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had to say. And the report, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, O sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry, and why did they waste their times with their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city, for Herod and Tippus, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, And then they preach the word of God with boldness. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us, God. We thank you that you are creator of heaven and earth. We're thankful that Jesus is your Messiah, the Messiah given to us uh, for our salvation, that he is the true and living king of the universe. And this morning, we pray that you would help us to submit our hearts to you, dear God. Um, We pray that we would... Learn what you would have us to take from this passage this morning, that we would apply it to our lives, that you would help us to be authentic in our faith, that you would help us to be um, an encouraging people. And Lord, we just ask these things in the precious name of our Savior, dear Jesus. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Um, and so, you know, we can see that this would be an awesome time to be alive. It would be an awesome time to be following God and to be part of this, you know, early church. You can imagine what that would be like. I mean, you get to experience things like this where literally the whole building shakes um, after this prayer. Um, They are encouraged. They have great boldness. They want to go and to share 
uh, the message of Jesus. You know, that's not just, uh, it is out, you know, kind of on the street, but it's not just there. It is out in the temple, but it's not just there. You know it is going on in daily communications from house to house and in neighborhoods and communities in uh, places of business, places of work, uh, places where people are learning, um, where they are you know, even together, to getting together for their social activities, that the message of Jesus is going forward in all of these places, through all of these activities. Um, but we see that with this powerful move of God, there, there comes a lot of opportunity, and with that comes a lot of, oppor- of responsibility. You know, an opportunity and responsibility tend to go hand in hand. Uh, with opportunity comes responsibility. And so what we're going to see um, this morning is a, is a contrast. It's going to be a contrast between the actions and attitude of most of the believers um, who were part of the early church. Um, and then it's going to be contrasted with a few at this point who love the things of this world more than God and who are not authentic um, in their community and not authentic in their um, relationship with the Lord. And so when we begin in verse 32 here this morning, it said, it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that that they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's blessing was upon them all. And there were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. And he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So you imagine, you know, being part of this community, how beautiful being, a, you know, part of a community like this um, really is. Again, we need to remember that their actions, that their perspective, you know, everything was, was voluntary. Um, you know, they were not, you know, being forced to, to do things in the expression of their faith. Um, you must, you must, you must. No, it was, you know, out of the genuineness of people's hearts that they desired um, to share uh, because they were united in their hearts and in their minds. They had one purpose, the message of Jesus Christ. That was their collective purpose was, was Jesus and to share his message with everyone that they could, you know, and to worship him together, you know. So they had a great unity of, of heart and mind because they were, you know, they were united in Jesus. They were united in their king, and they were united in their purpose. They understood that anything that anyone owned, any physical possession, whether it was money or a piece of land or anything like that, was ultimately God's, and that they were just stewards of it. Now, this is the reality, whether anyone acknowledges it or not. Anything anyone has that's good, you know, in this world is a gift of God. You know, they've been, they were given the opportunities, the skills, whatever, to obtain it, or they were just given it directly, however it came about. But everything good we have, I mean, even the air we breathe, whose air is it that we breathe? It's God's air. When somebody makes money, with what resources do they do that? They do that with God's resources. It's his universe. It's his, it's his earth. It's ultimately his land. If it produces crops, whose sun you know, helped the crops to grow? Whose rain helped those crops to grow? It was, it was God's. It was all God's. 
I mean, who, I mean, all the matter that's used, anything physical that's made, any even the, the brains that ourselves that come up with ideas, those are, are from God. If we really are just want to be honest before God and before ourselves, we understand that it's all His, and He's given us a stewardship over it. Now, whether anybody acknowledges that it's His, or whether they acknowledge their responsibility for stewardship, doesn't change the reality and the facts of the matter that it's all God's, we're all just stewards of it. We also see that their priorities were spiritual and not just physical. And in fact, their spiritual priorities were higher than their physical priorities. That's obvious how they live. And this was part of their testimony that they believed in the resurrection of Jesus. They believed that this was all temporary and that their home was somewhere else. And not to get you know, too political today, but, but um, there's sort of some really good commentary this week about kind of the state. You know, it's, as, as people are, you know, I think most people are generally disappointed about our per- current political state and what options we have you know, on the table. But hopefully for followers of Jesus, it causes us to have a little bit better understanding that this is not our true home, but our hope is elsewhere. Our hope is elsewhere. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so the resurrected king, Jesus, is our priority. And, you know, I think what what happens, you know, a lot of times is that, you know, when we have a lot of, of resources uh, a lot of physical material resources, those things by their nature can become distracting to us. And it's, we have to work harder, you know, not to be distracted by those things. You know, when people don't have, they don't have to fight hard to be distracted by the things that they have. So again, with opportunity, with this blessing comes responsibility. Responsibility to be a good steward and to manage it well. And we see here in the early church that this generosity meant that there wasn't, there wasn't need. There weren't people in the church that, that had great, great needs. And I think as we see the, the whole of the New Testament, what we see here in the early, in the early church that, that you know, people were not looking to abuse the generosity of, of, of the church. Um. That they're, the people who had need, you know, received that need, but they were doing, you know, what they could do. You know, and, and people who could support themselves did support themselves. You know, so there was a, 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 an attitude there that people had, that people were not looking to defraud the generosity of others. But this doesn't stay consistent throughout. In fact... Um, the Apostle Paul had to write to the church in Thessalonica, even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Um, and, you know, and why was that? Why did, why did he have to say that? He had to say that because at a certain point, people began to you know, abuse that, that generosity, to abuse the generosity of others. Um, so that's a, you know, it, it shows also that when something begins with a certain perspective and a certain attitude that is all you know, pure and good, it's, it's hard to maintain that over time. It's really, really difficult to maintain that over time. 
And so, you know, as followers of Jesus and people who seek to be authentic, it's not something that, you know, have an authentic community, it's not something that just, you know, happens. And if we just kind of just, you know, sit in the boat and float, that, you know, we maintain that. You know, there's going to be a, a, a drift away from this singular focus of Jesus Christ. You're going to be a drift away from that and a distraction from that, and then people start to focus on other things and start to focus on, you know, themselves and their own, what they perceive as their own good and their own benefit. And so that's a really, really tough thing over time is to maintain focus and priority. We know that true in our own individual lives. We know that that to be true in the church of Jesus or in in anything that is good and worth uh, pursuing that you know, vision drift or mission drift is, is, comes really, really easily. Easily it comes very easy, uh, but it's a lot of hard work to stay on on focus and on point. So, over time here, because of this, there has to be a certain accountability given. You know, right here in the very beginning, with you know the building shaking and all of this sort of stuff, there, we don't have these instructions and many instructions on words about people who are receiving the generosity and their responsibility and their accountability. But as we proceed in the New Testament, we have more and more of that emphasis on here's the accountability and here's the responsibility for those who um, are receiving, um, you know, the generosity of others. We also see here that the leaders could be trusted. Barnabas had um, no problem taking, you know, the piece of land that he sold um, and bringing it, literally, it's bringing it at the apostles' feet and laying it there and saying, do with it as you see best. He had no problem doing that because he trusted the integrity of the apostles, that they would be good stewards of the gifts that, you know, were given. That, it, you know, they, they weren't just going to go, you know, frivolously wasted. You know, they, they weren't going to just go and build themselves, you know, big houses and new horses and all of that sort of stuff. So that they were going to use it well for the good of the, of the whole community, particularly for the good of those who didn't have. So a couple of things about Barnabas, and it's interesting here because just one little note, it says that he was a, a Levite. And, you know, we read the Old Testament, the Levites weren't even really supposed to own land. Now, maybe he had the piece of land, was back in Cyprus, you know, in the island. It, was, you know, in the, it wasn't part of Israel, and he had that. It's actually, you know, but more likely, again, you know, we talk about drift. There was a drift for the Levites as a whole from what they were told to do and what the instructions were for Israel in terms of taking care of the Levites. And then the Levites probably at some point realized, well, when people aren't following God, they're not going to take care of us, and so we need to take care of ourselves. And so... You know, the system has sort of uh, moved around. But now, at this point, all that's really done away with anyway because Jesus has fulfilled the law. The Levites no longer have the same function moving forward. They're just, you know, because it was the only the Levites could be the priests. But now any follower of Jesus is a king and a priest to God. And so, there, you know, these regulations don't even hold anymore. But we see that even culturally, they had already kind of gone away. Um, 
in some, in some aspects, and this being one of them, uh, with Barnabas having this piece of land to sell. We see Barnabas wasn't um, his original name. It was a nickname given to him. His name was Joseph, but they wanted to name him, the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas because he was such an, an encourager. So they named him Son of Encouragement, Barnabas. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome to have that reputation. To be such an encouraging person that people would want to change your name to son of encouragement. To be an encourage that you are an encouraging, an, just an encourager. That is, that is really good. Um, you know, and we think about encouraging. Encouraging is comes in different ways. You know, sometimes, um, you know, when people are are down, people need to be encouraged just to get up off the floor. Like, hey, you know, let's pray. Let's, you know, let's give you some spiritual strength and just help you to, to get back up again. You know, here we go. And sometimes it's an encouragement of, you know, si se puede. You know, yes, we can. Here we go. And it's that sort of encouragement. There are different types of encouragement, you know, that we, differ, that, that we need at different times based on the circumstances that are in our lives. But we all need people who are encouraging in our lives. I was thinking about um, about this uh, some this week, just this idea of, of the value of people who are encouraging, the value of people who keep us moving forward in Jesus in our lives, the value of, of these sort of people. And I was thinking about, you know, um, now we have these, like, physical um, trackers. I've thought about getting one. I haven't gotten one. Anybody have a Fitbit or anything like that? We don't, I don't know if we have too many people with Fitbit, but I've seen people wearing these, you know, when I go up to Ramsey to play ball, and I really don't like it when people wear the Fitbit while they're playing basketball because you get hit by them sometimes, and it's like, come on, man, you're just like wearing a, you know, this hard object that you're swinging around. Um, but they want to track you know, their steps and their heart rate and all their exercise and this. And I don't know, maybe if we were a run up and down the aisle church, we'd have more people wearing Fitbits on a Sunday morning. But um, anyway... So, forget that. Um, but, you know, they, they indicate a person's, you know, physical activity, and so people want to keep track of that. And I was wondering, you know, what if we had a spiritual Fitbit? You know, that you wore a spiritual Fitbit around with you every day. And, you know, what would that indicate about, you know, our spiritual health? If it, if it you know, kept track, every time you said something, you know, encouraging to someone... It, it kept a tally of that. And every time you said something you know, negative um, or discouraging to someone, it, it kept a track of that. And every time you complained about something, it, it, it kept a, uh, you know, it, it made a little, little beep at you or a little, little mark or, or, or whatever. You know, what would that indicate about our, our spiritual health? Well, the, you know, because we know that our, our world dwells on the negative, and I can get caught up in this just as easy as anybody else. And recently, I've been thinking, man, you know, sometimes I can just be, I can just be negative. I can just be, you know, complaining about stuff, and and it's easy to complain. And when we complain, we like to complain together, because when we have a good experience with something, we know this statistically. I mean, you know, people who are in business, people who do marketing and stuff. I mean, you know this that. When something negative happens, you know, you, we tend to tell the world, so, you know, through social media, person-to-person conversations, text messages, everything else. Something negative happens, it's, a, it's tell the world. 
and something good, really good happens, we might tell a few people about it. Or, you know, you might put a, you know, a post about it. But, you know, you, you, we, have, we have negativity, and, and even in times a lot of our social media is a false positivity, you know, because it's, it's not necessarily authentic. It's just, hey, look at how great life is. And it's not necessarily meant for the benefit of, of others. Um, but we have a tendency to dwell on the negative, you know, to, to complain, to complain about our jobs, our coworkers, our spouses, our kids, our church, our bank account, our sports teams. Ouch, that, that hurts a little bit this morning. Too soon? Too soon on that this morning? I'm sorry. Um, that's just a bad beat. That's just a bad beat. But anyway, um, even, our, even our hobbies, I mean, we can, we can, we can find, it seems like we can find a way to be negative and to complain about almost anything. And I would just contend for myself this morning, I'm preaching this message to myself. I want you to hear that very clearly. I'm preaching this to myself. That this isn't of the spirit. It's something that rubs off on us, you know, from the from the world, and something that's a part of our of our sinful, you know, our sinful flesh. That doesn't mean that we aren't honest. It doesn't mean that we aren't um, what we say, you know, realistic, or that we're faking, you know, to fake positivity or to pretend that everything is great when it's not. I'm not advocating that in any way, but just. A general attitude, and if we, if we truly believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he is the resurrected king, and that he will return, that's positive. That's big time positive. Jesus is coming back as king, and he offers salvation to a, to a desperate and dying world. We have a positive king and a positive message you know, to give, and that should determine our ultimate attitude and trajectory, and we're moving toward that. That's our vision, and our vision is a positive vision, and so therefore, that should dictate the majority of our attitude in life, the majority of our perspective in life should be dictated by that. Because it's really a matter of what, we, of what we decide to dwell on. We can dwell on the negative, the inconveniences, the discouragements, those things that are real, that are bad, that happen in each of our lives, and what other people do, and all of that sort of stuff. Or we can decide to dwell on the resurrected king who is going to return. It is a choice. It is is a choice that I make. And there are days when I decide and I choose that I'm going to be negative and I'm going to stay and dwell on that negativity regardless of what the Spirit of God prompts in my heart, regardless of the encouraging word or the encouraging thing that I receive from another person, that I have determined and that I have decided, nope, it's just a bad day. It's just, and it's just, and things are just bad right now. 
But that is a short-term view. That is, that is just a short pers- view, perspective, and isn't taking into account the longer view of eternity. In the bigger picture that we have available to us. Some people, we see in the scriptures that some people are given, you know, they have a spiritual gift of encouragement. But with all the spiritual gifts, we, we all have a responsibility to cultivate every aspect of our spiritual lives. Because again, this is just like generosity. It's just like evangelism. People will just say, well, you know, encouraging, encouragement, encouraging, it's just not my spiritual gift. Well, the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak. It doesn't say brothers and sisters with certain spiritual gifts. It just says brothers and sisters. This whole community is to be about this. And part of that, encourage those who are weak, take tender care of those, or encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You know, we, sometimes we, we, all, we do all this, you know, what's God's will for my life? And yes, there are real questions that we have to ask about who I should marry and what sort of job I should have and what I should study in school, etc., etc., all of these things. But if you want to know the will of God today for your life, what are you supposed to do today? Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one pays back evil for evil, always try to do good to each other and to all people, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. That's convicting for me this morning, because even over the last couple of days, I was like, man, you know, I, I, I can be, I can complain and I can just be negative. So be thankful. This is God's will for you. This is God's will for you. Man, when you want God's will for you today, be a thankful person. Be a thankful person. You know, when people encounter somebody who's truly impositive and encouraging, they take notice, they you know, tend to want to be around a person. You know, we tend to want to be around people who are encouraging, people who are positive, people who... Help us to believe that we can or who pick us up, you know, when we're down. You know, we tend to want to be around those sort of folks. Well, let's, you know, we we have some encouragement there for us to be those sort of folks. You know, to be the sort of people that other people want to be around and to be encouraged by. But encouragers, I just want to throw out there, encouragers need to be encouraged too. You know, you have somebody in your life who is an encourager, who has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord, who's picked you up when you were down, who's, you know, helped you believe that you can, you know, all of those things, like, they need encouragement too, so send that person a text message today, give them a call on the telephone, write them an email, whatever it is, but let that encourager in your life know that their work isn't in vain, that it has benefited you, encourage them to keep on encouraging, encourage them to keep on encouraging, we need those sort of people in our lives. We need those sort of people um, in our church, people who are encouraged 
others. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, But there was a certain man. This is the contrast, because Barnabas is there for a reason. He's introduced here. He's going to play a bigger role as the book goes on. But he's introduced here in, in his conduct and his generosity. But he's also given in contrast to Ananias and Sapphira, this couple. It says, There was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. And he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. And then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. After selling it, was it not at your disposal? How could you, do, how could you think to do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you outside, too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. There's some important things in here. This is one of those kind of passages that you read in the scripture and you go, whoa, Whoa, this is, this is serious. This is serious. There's a couple things I want to put in here that are really important. One is that, you know, again, Ananias and Sapphira were under no obligation to give any specific amount. They weren't even under an obligation to sell the piece of land in the first place. But the problem is that they wanted to be viewed in the community a certain way. what do we call this, ultimately? We call it a lack of authenticity. We call it hypocrisy. They wanted to be seen in the community as people just like Barnabas and others. He's just an example. Many others who did the same. Want to be seen just like those people who were selling their property and giving everything and you know, receiving some sort of praise for it. The difference is I don't believe Barnabas gave that money to receive praise. He gave it out of a joyful and thankful heart. But you see there's something twisted in Ananias and Sapphira where they want the you know, applause, that that's the primary motivator here, is how they are going to be perceived by others. And they've got, you know, you mix that in with, a, a, I think, a little bit of greed is also safe to say. Because their heart wasn't to give it, their, their heart was to keep it and to spend it on themselves. We want to make it really clear that Ananias had a, a, opportun- an opportunity to take another path, or really had multiple other paths he could take. And so when it says, why have you let Satan fill your heart? This fill your heart is the same verb that's used for the filling of the Holy Spirit. The idea is to be influenced you know, by. 
why have you let Satan, you know, you could translate it this way, you know, why have you let Satan influence you in this way? Because there was a, a, a decision to be made when that thought even first came, entered into his mind of, hey, we could sell it and say we gave it all, but didn't. First Corinthians 10, 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So he had plenty of options here. But the first thing he did when I, when I first entered into his head, that's where he had the best opportunities to say no to the temptation that he was being given by Satan, by spiritual darkness. And he just had an opportunity there to say, Lord, help me. Help me to do here what is right in your sight. He could have overcome right there. Could have overcome it. And then Sapphira, she also has her choice to make. And she's actually given an, extra, an additional opportunity when she's asked the question. You know, she'd already conspired with her husband to do this. But she's given an extra grace, an extra opportunity of being asked that question. Is this the amount? You know, right then she could have said, no, it, you know, it wasn't. You know, maybe she would have received some grace um, and help in that, in that time. But we have a couple of questions here that I think are important for us because we need to ask, you know, what's going on here that's so, um, so important that God would strike down Ananias and Sapphira? We know that's a valid question to ask this morning. Like, haven't other people lied about their giving? We'll see this isn't the first time God has done something like this, and it's definitely not the last. Um, But we do see a pattern in the scriptures that whenever God is instituting a new chapter in the story, that there's an example, like there's a, a necessity I've got to set a very high standard for what's going to happen next. We see that in scriptures in several ways. When the Hebrews left Egypt uh, and they were disobedient in the wilderness, God did not allow that first generation to enter into the promised land. They had to wander in the desert for 40 years until that generation died off. And that was to be an example for every other generation to follow, the importance of obedience to God. When they finally entered the promised land, the first battle over the city of Jericho, God gave an explicit command that no individual would profit from the fall of that city. But a man named Achan disobeyed. He took silver and gold. He took a beautiful garment for himself, and he hid it in his tent. Now, in that sort of living, the other family members know what's going on here, too. But the consequences were significant. There were Hebrews who lost their lives in the next battle because God was not with them. And then ultimately, Achan and all his family died as a result of his greed, of his sin, of his 
disobedience to God. It's also interesting, there, you know, the deceitfulness of sin, because sin always tells us, you will get away with this. Sin's law is always the same in terms of consequences. Sin's law is, you will, you will get away with this. There will be no consequences. You'll get off scot-free. That's, that's a, a great law of sin. I mean, even such that Achan takes, doesn't just take silver and gold, he takes this beautiful garment. Now, can you imagine him wearing this coat around? People are like, hey, Achan, nice coat. New coat you got there. Um, kind of look like what people in Jericho like to wear. Kind of their style. Where'd you get that? I mean, what's he thinking he's going to do with this thing when he has it? But sin causes a fog in the rational mind, and a person that is in that sin doesn't think fully rationally. There's always the expectation, I will get away with this. Even if on the outside, I mean, we know this from like watching, you know, if you watch any like real life crime dramas, I used to watch those much more than I do now, but in all the cases with those things, you know, you kind of look at the, what the criminal has done and you go, did you, you have any thought you you did what? You you left what there, and you thought you were going to get not get caught. Thought you weren't going to get. It, sin causes an irrationality. Cause irrational actions. But on with the pattern. The first king of Israel, Saul, when he disobeyed, he lost his place as king. So each time there was something new that was happening, a new chapter in the story. And God had to set an example to let all the rest that would follow know, hey, this is serious business. And so here in the early church, it's like, hey, we have to be an authentic community, and we have to be truthful about our our actions and our intentions. And that standard had to be set. And it was definitely effective because you could, as you can imagine, this great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else heard, you know, what happened. So even people outside of the community. So now they're even thinking, you know, rightly, is this something, you know, this is serious business. Do I want to enter into that serious business? Because with this, and you talk about, again, what's happening here in this time, people are seeing things and getting to experience something, a unique move of God, as they're seeing the miracles that are done. The whole, I mean, they're there when the whole house shakes that they're in, and with this opportunity and this privilege that they have to be part of this experience comes a responsibility along with it. But, you know, when it says great fear gripped the entire church and everybody else, else that heard it, you know, I, I think that's one of those verses in our current, you know, church culture in our, in our society that we just, we don't want this verse in the scripture. We don't want this verse here because we... You know, we, we, we don't want there to be anything in the church other than like, you know, happy rah-rah. Like, let, you know, like, just, hey, come and, and, you know, as we talked about earlier, the purpose of encouragement, but we, you know, sometimes we want that without reality and without, you know, the authenticity that's necessary. And so this sort of message, I mean, wait, people were, people were fearful well, let's try to find some way to soften that. Let's try to make it, 
you know, sound something where people aren't actually afraid of what their consequences, of the consequences of what their, their potential actions. And is it something in us that we don't want following God to be that serious? We want it to be, you know, I think what Anna, I think the problem for Ananias and Sapphira is they they wanted just all the 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 easy and the good and the you know being part of this exciting you know thing that was that was happening, but they didn't want to have to like bear the responsibility of that and the the weight of that and the seriousness of that. And these are things we have to keep in balance, of obviously, because you know people can we, as humans we tend to go to extremes. So whether it's you know, it's either all judgment all the time or it's all grace without any standard of truth. It's not really grace. It's some, I don't know what the word for it is, but it's some other thing that is called grace. But it's like one of those sort of deals. We tend to run to those extremes. And what we see here in this passage is that, you know, there's there's a... There's a place for encouragement, and there's a place for, for lifting people up that are weak, but there's also a place to call out, and that there's a need for, for seriousness and for authenticity and for like a, a truthfulness in our, in our walk with God. And I hope that we can hold those things in the right sort of tension. So, you know, we're not just like cowered over in, in the corner shaking, but we're also not just frivolous thinking that anything we do doesn't matter, and we can say whatever we want, we can do whatever we want, and there's no consequences, there's no spiritual consequences before God for anything that we do in our lives, and we don't have to take it seriously. Hopefully we can avoid those extremes. So those are our practical applications today, and so, you know, as we look in this passage, that kind of started off all encouraging and, and kind of moved into this very sort of serious you know, mode, but what do we apply for ourselves, for our church? You know, first thing I think is, you know, be close to Jesus so that we can authentically be his followers, you know, and that's the contrast. I think we see with, with Barnabas and with others that they were filled with the Spirit. And, and, you know, it's like if you're not filled with the Spirit, then you're open to be influenced by Satan. If you're not filled with the Spirit, you're open to be influenced. So we've got to strive to be filled. There's a difference between filling and possession, and I don't have time to get into all that this morning, and there's a difference between possession and, and influence. But we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be close to Jesus in order to be authentic. We need to be careful not to get up, caught up in a game where we're more concerned about spiritual appearance than we are spiritual reality. That's a dangerous Dangerous game. We care more about how we look on the outside or how people perceive us than we are about spiritual reality. In the spirit, so third one, in the spirit, strive to be an encouraging person, to leave discouraging habits behind. I think that's just even a good challenge for us, is just to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us when we're complaining about things we shouldn't be complaining about when we're being negative that we just ask the Spirit to convict us of those things and to help change our attitude. Uh, and the fourth one is take a few minutes today and thank an encourager 
in your life? Do you think that's really important um, that we do? Very important. Uh, let's finish with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. His apostles here are laying a foundation. And the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Just thinking about that, um, as he goes to verse 16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And so here in this case, especially as the church was just beginning, that if this sort of inauthentic life was allowed to go unchecked, ultimately it could destroy God's church. That was, you know, the temple of God. And God wasn't going to allow that to happen. And that's, and especially in its infancy, as it's, you know, still a very small group of people, relatively speaking, as a very small movement, it's just beginning to move forward, that his purity here at this time has to be maintained. But there is still that warning, as we see later on in the Church of Corinth. You know, people, because they were getting drunk at the Lord's table, they were getting sick and they were dying. Because they weren't taking seriously the bread and the cup that represent the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. They were just saying, give me more wine. And that's a very, you know, especially in that setting, you know, their irreverence, you know, came with a consequence. Um, and so we have a necessity, even as we come to the Lord's table this morning, that we do so with great joy and thankfulness in our hearts of what Jesus has done for us. But we also take it as a reverent thing. It's not a, it's not a flippant activity when we take that bread and cup and we remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's not a flippant thing that we do. It's serious because we're remembering that the creator of the universe sacrificed himself, gave himself for us, died in our place. So it's, it is a serious thing. So we balance that thankfulness, encouragement, authenticity, truthfulness, spiritual reality is what is being strived for. And what God is asking of his, of his people. So we need to be real with the Lord with that. We say, Lord, this morning... Um, Hey, if you're filled with the Spirit and things are great, just give thanks to God for that. You know, and take that bread and cup, thankful heart, and say, Lord, I've been a little bit lukewarm. I've been a little bit off. Lord, you know, fill me with your Spirit. Take the bread and cup in thanksgiving. Because, Lord, I've been distant. I haven't, I'm not where I should be. You know, confess it to the Lord. And say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And take the bread and the cup with thanksgiving. You know, you know, the, we have that privilege and that opportunity you know, this morning. So there's what we see here is that encouragement, 
hopefully we walk away from that, this passage this morning with a reverence for God, a, a respect for Him and for His ways, um, and a desire to be more authentic and a desire to be like Barnabas and to encourage people, and to encourage somebody today, um, one way or another. And so let's strive to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness to us, God. We thank you for the whole of your word. Um, We thank you that we're given the examples of Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. Lord, we're, we're sorry for that couple and for what they did and for what they endured in that they suffered such a great loss. But Lord, I pray we would take it to heart so that we don't suffer similar loss. Lord, I pray we be, in our church, be more and more like Barnabas, that we would encourage those who are, have feeble knees, who are feeling weak, Lord, that we would encourage them, that we would build up uh, one another, that we'd keep the reality of the return of your son, Jesus, Father, as personal foremost of our, our attitude and our perspective in life. And so we thank you for all that we have in your son, Jesus. We take that bread and that cup this morning, help, help us to do so with thankful hearts. Help us to leave here today encouraging one another and encouraging others that we encounter. Lord, we thank you again for your great goodness to us. In your name, Jesus, we pray.